Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. I cannot tell you how pumped I am to bring you this week's episode. Listening to it was like reliving the weekend of the symposium all over again, and it is the first real inside look at the content that we'll be making available. It's incredibly difficult to put into words just how impactful the experience was for everyone who attended, but the guys do their very best in describing a few standout moments. I am not exaggerating when I say that each speaker left the attendees awestruck and inspired in some way that they were not before. We could never truly do their stories justice on the podcast, but many are just too good not to share. This is episode 239. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Power Athlete Nation, it's that time again for the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing, 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 Callie, ing, ing, Callie. Can you hear that? Ladies and gentlemen, that is right. Uh, we are fresh off the Power Athlete Symposium. So we're not going to tell you to sign up for it this year because 2017 is over, but 2018 is already in the works, people. Dude, 2018's knocking on the door. I feel like it's already here mm-hmm. because it practically is. Yeah. And... We've already begun planning for the 2018 Power Athlete Symposium. That's right, because here's what happened. If you are, if you've been to the symposium before and you missed out this year, what you missed was the blossoming of the flower that has become the premier strength and conditioning. God, I love the symposium. symposium. You know, in December in Austin. You know, the only person that enjoys the word blossoming more than you is Callie Hinsman. Yeah, and the words uh, moist and yes. blossoming yes. are um, used daily in her vocabulary. Yeah, and that's what you missed, people. And for those of you who were there, the 200 heads, the warm bodies, you know it was fucking absolutely savage. So if you've never been and you're like, what the hell did I miss out on? I got news for you. We're still buzzing. We're still high uh, because our speakers crushed it. Everything was like, dude, there's so many behind the scenes things that went down that were fucking epic. Uh, We're just going to kind of wrap and talk about it and relive the glory days. I mean, of high school football I, in Naperville. I, I, I really don't know how we can. I mean, the seminar was just uh, covered every base. I mean, from, you know, donut bullets to, you know, Adam Nelson getting a gold medal. Riding in, the rails, baby. Riding the rails. You know, uh, two get, more. Getting a medal presented, his gold medal presented into him at the Burger King in the Atlanta airport. So, I mean, it, dude, it, it traversed some amazing things. I mean, we started out uh, day one with Andy Stumpf. Andy got up and gave a, a riveting talk about not only leadership, but goal setting as a, you know, 12-year Navy SEAL and, you know, world record holder and mm-hmm. just, you know, all-around badass dude. And then we did a long road with him where I got to sit and rap with my old friend for a long time about, you know, really just anything and everything mm-hmm. that the audience mm-hmm. wanted to know about. Uh, and my boy Slezak, Orange Theory. Oh, Orange Theory. So, earned so before- himself a lifetime nickname. <laughs> so, so that was great. So we had let's... a guy there who was uh, a, who's an Orange Theory guy and is a little burned Katie, out. Texas. Mm-hmm. A little mm-hmm. burned out. Mm-hmm. And so he asked Andy some questions, at which point he just became branded as... Orange Theory. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Orange Theory, get over here. And here's the thing with Andy's talk is his, the, the approach he took and, you know, he t- did touch on leadership and goal setting, and which, you know, were his previous two talks, but where he talked about this year set, really set the tempo for the rest of the speakers, uh, intentionally or not intentionally, unintentionally, because he, he referred to the peaks of life and kind of like we, it started with some social media. Like sure. that's what you tend to see people post on is the peak, right? Whether it's the all-time high and all-time low. But what he talked about is how the, the valley, yeah. which is where, you, you know, the journey exists in achieving either peak on either end, 
that's where that can be one of the most empowering times of your life sure. if you know how to harness it, right? But it can also be one of the most fucking miserable if you're a guy like Orange Theory who's beating his head on the fucking door and not even realizing you're at a dead end and you're spending all of this time here and, uh, you know, both you and Andy, because you did a podcast with him before as yeah. well, right? Yeah, so we did, um, you know, he has a podcast called Cleared Hot mm -hmm. and uh, we jumped on and, you know, grabbed and jumped in a room and he's like, hey man, let's rap about some of the old days and uh, it was it was actually phenomenal. Uh, we just, I don't know if you guys have listened to it, but go check it out. Uh, we got to talk about, you know, not only my journey, but, you know, kind of how we met and how it all kind of pieced together. And, you know, the theme for Andy Steele, and I remember when he pitched me, he said, hey, man, I want to do a podcast, but everybody always talks about, like, what you're doing, you know, why are you here, are you pushing your book, or, you know, like, you're trying to get publicity to do something. Everybody wants to do a podcast when somebody's hot. He goes, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, the peak. I'm interested in the valley. I'm interested in, mm -hmm. in what it took to get you here. I'm interested in, like, knowing the journey, because I'm more fascinated by, like, what happens between the peaks, what he calls the valley, as Luke said. Um, and we just talked a, a pretty good amount that, but I, I really thought that that piece about you know living in the valley, uh, living in the valley, understanding the process, working through the process, and realizing that the majority of your time is spent uh, in this like dark place where you just are fucking moving, you're traversing, you're mm -hmm. uh, you know putting one foot in front of the other, you're fucking you know blocking this thing through so that you can reach a peak to get the sun on your face, and um, it really just kind of set the theme. I mean, I could say of the speakers, if I could say there was a general theme of anything, it was the process. Yeah. You know, like what happens out on the rails to quote Adam Nelson, where it's like nothing cool happens on the fucking on the road, on the center line. Everything cool happens out up on the fucking rails on the side, you know, when you're, you know, fucking going out of control. So uh, I thought it was a great talk. You got the great tempo. And then he had to fucking bone out to go out to France to hunt mountain goats yes and it like fucking did a great job of documenting that shit on his social media right i guess literally on the peak do you guys get it because he's yeah. in a no I, I get it ah uh, you guys don't fucking yeah get no it. check you know check it out but he had he some, had some valleys I, I hear he lost his luggage on the way there yeah yeah oh. the, and got delayed and held up and yeah almost it missed mess. it but no he ended up getting through and uh persevering through so it was a, it was a great talk and then uh Andy and I, you know, we go on the long road, we sit down, next thing, um, you know, we go to lunch, we come back and... Well, no, no, we broke oh. at that point and had fucking cocktail hour on the rooftop bar at Meridian 98, oh, right. where they served these fucking lamb shanks that were fucking legit. So that was our VIP deal. Yeah, that was for our sponsors, you know, and speaking of, dude, like, I guess, uh, shameless shout out for some of those sponsors, right? Well, it's not shameless. I mean, we had some amazing sponsors with, uh, hey, our hey, brand goods, deuce, uh, fucking, uh, Sornex. Well, Sornex was title. Sornex and power. Oh, crushed it. Stay yeah. classy meets. There's a story behind that coming up as well. Sure. Um, Black Rifle Coffee sponsored yep. us as well. Uh, you know, we're not doing it justice, but these guys came to the fucking, came to the plate and, and knocked it out because all of their, like, this, remember, this was a fundraising vehicle for fucking Wades, and we got, we were able to pass a bunch of cash along, and, uh, and it was fucking killer. And speaking of, after that VIP cocktail hour, you know, thanks to Soranex and PowerDot, we came down back to the ballroom <laughs> where the chairs were stripped out and the tables were set up in a horseshoe fashion with how many items for 20, 20 silent auction items. Mm. Right. And we spent two hours and there. an open bar. 
Two hours there, slang and drinks. Okay. Open, open bar, dude. Slang and drinks. Six people were Schlitz. Yeah, two hundred people bidding on various donated products from local businesses down here to our title sponsors, Sorenex and PowerDot, right? Hate Brand Goods, Deuce, Jim. Harry's uh, Woodshop. Harry's Woodshop, COVID Boots, and dude, it was fucking John legit. Wellborn. Yes, John Wellborn. <laughs> because, ladies and gentlemen, yes, there was a, a signed football by John Wellborn. In fact, there were two signed footballs yes, by John Yes, I actually signed them. But you would think, while well, those would go for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars... They didn't. They were like a hundred bucks. But what, 170. what did go for multiple thousands of dollars, Tex? Was it the mystery box? It was not the mystery box this year. What would, but, but a mystery box topped out 500 bucks. That is fucking new time, all time record for the all mystery time. box. Who could resist the call of, of the, the mystery, mystery box? box. What's in the box? <laughs> what's in the box? You know, we didn't hear that. I was uh, surprised. As yeah. you guys were saying, I was waiting for the what's in the box? Uh, well, we're seven. Not gonna, maybe seven's been too old. Next maybe yeah, maybe it, these people are too, you listen, know, too young. They haven't seen seven. Listeners, listen. Are you listening? Linda, if you want to know what was in the box, too fucking bad. Or you have to talk to a pal who went to the symposium because, spoiler alert, there's a mystery box next year. And uh, let's just say it was worth every cent of the $500. The number one. Highest bidding item. Item. Drum roll. Oh. And John, pull out what's in your pockets right now. Uh-oh. Nothing. Oh, sweatpants. Oh. Well, it wasn't nothing on the night of the auction. Yeah, so one of the auction <laughs> items we had was what is in John Walborn's pocket, which actually bid up to $2,500 with a match of $2,500 from Dr. Tom Inkladon, which... Oh. Yeah. You know, we got to yeah, we, we got to chase him. We down. haven't got that check yet. <laughs> he did. He did say, "Hey, Luke, chase this down. I mean this." Yeah. So, I'm so about Inky, it. yeah, Inky matched whatever was in my pocket, and uh, John Custer came through. A uh, good buddy of ours came through, and uh, with twenty five hundred dollars, and he, well, the way the story goes is Luke walks over and goes, "Hey, uh, what's in your pocket?" I'm like, um, "I don't know. Probably nothing. Maybe keys." He's like, "Well." We got some stuff. So <laughs> as he crams money, uh, like Slim Jims, Kit, Kit Kats, a uh, bunch of shit, Coupons. I realize it's not enough. <laughs> so I walk around. I start asking people, what's in your pocket? And a Double D had like seven coupons for nut butter, <laughs> which I was like, yeah. Send it. Yeah, Double D's like, hey, I just have these dollar twenty-five coupons for nut butter. Do you want seven of them? And I'm like, yeah him in the pocket so he puts him in there he had a double d interesting dude so i go around uh i go up to the to uh um our fucking uh one of our buddies and who's a uh, uh fbi guy I'll, I'll leave his name off of this podcast and i was like what's in your pocket he's like i got some nylon handcuffs i'm like in throw it in so he throws them in my pocket then i go over and i see rudy reyes and i'm thinking to myself What's what in fucks in, in Rudy's pocket? <laughs> so I cruise over to Rudy and I'm like, Rudy, uh, what's in your pocket? And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, do you have anything in your pocket? He's like, no, I can't put things in my pocket. Look how tight my pants are. And I'm like, your pants are really tight. Like, what do you mean? There's nothing in there. And he's like, no, I have a cell phone in my back pocket. And I was like, he's like, why? And I'm like, well, and I told him, I'm like, we have this auction. I'm called what's in John Walburn's pocket. And I'm going around asking interesting people yeah. that might potentially have weird shit in their pocket. And he's like, oh, so then he goes, well, what about this? He takes off his bracelet that uh, was given to him by like a, a Himalayan Tibetan uh, monk on like at Everett base camp. 
made of like secret rocks from some fucking uh, rock quarry in fucking Bangladesh or something as he's telling me the story and he like bequeaths it to me. He's like, well, just put this in your pocket, give it to them. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck? So long story short, I don't give him that. I go back and I like circle back around. Hey, Rudy, you drop your bracelet. He's like, I did. And I put it back on his wrist. He's like, oh, thanks. I don't know where I lost it. Pretty strange. But we end up getting 2500 bucks. Uh, I pull it out, throw this just wad of stuff on there. At Audience which point, erupts. Yeah, it was epic. So, uh, yeah, what's in my pocket? But, spoiler alert, uh, very uh, a great display of philanthropy. Is that the correct usage of the words? I don't want Andy fucking word policing me. Yeah. Uh, but by Custer, which well, actually earned... Well, you mean like earned, a, f- a philotropic? Yeah. Is that what you know, it is? No, well, philo- you know, uh, philanthropy. Yeah. Yeah. So, but... Unbeknownst to Custer, it earned him a seat at the table. More on that later. Uh, to the VIP dinner. Yeah. Which is by far, we could have just sold the VIP dinner ticket. Mm. That might be next year. Maybe next year. The, uh, I'll tell you this. It turned went from the evolution of the auction. It went from a silent auction last year, 2016, 2017. We created the not-so-silent auction. Mm-hmm. So we let everybody get super drunk for two hours. And then as we were <laughs> announcing the winners... We just turned it into an Going actual once. auction. Going twice. Ah, oh, we got 270. We got so 270. We probably earned, I don't know, an extra four grand for Wades on top of that just by, mm-hmm. I don't know, just changing the rules. So, I guess, in the, in the sake of time, thank you to all of those, uh, if you are listening, who made great decisions. All six of you. That, that made great decisions at the silent, not-so-silent auction on Friday night. Uh, and thank you to all of those who donated goods, right? Uh, a, a few people from Power Athlete Nation you know, spent their time creating some stuff for us. And then some local vendors, like I said, and then our sponsors, uh, you know, uh, Train Heroic, Thorn, Hate, Deuce, um, Stay Classy Meats, all the Power Dot, all had stuff in there. So it was absolutely epic. Thank you to that. But barreling forward because the story just unfolds. It gets more interesting from here, right? So we shut that sucker down. Few people go up to the rooftop bar to maybe close it out a little bit. I believe Rudy Reyes had no shirt on and was confirmed. Yeah, no shirt on, doing his thing, tearing it up on the rooftop bar, probably till late night. And then, uh, you know, somehow woke up at fucking five in the morning, get his AM workout in of uh, max effort, downward dogs, and ranger panties for for time. time. (laughs) Which the best part of that is the video that he filmed has a woman in the back who's just like, uh, happens to be. To got up early to do to hit the gym and then gets to proceed to watch Rudy Reyes do a hundred down dogs for time in uh-huh. basically a set of Ranger panties. And the look on this lady's face, I don't know if it's disgust or ecstasy, but it was probably a little bit of both yeah. because she felt like, holy shit, I just got invited to fucking scores. <laughs> and uh, my fucking male dancer for today is hot and bothered. Oh my God. I mean, what, where Rudy missed the opportunity, and this is probably where Rudy lacks a little bit of awareness, is he should have just had Tiny Dancer playing on the background the whole time. <laughs> you know, because that's all I hear when I'm around Rudy is, hold me closer, Tiny Dancer. Dude, he's fucking a, a he, He's uh, a character is a good one, man. He uh, he's the the thing about it. And I think it was what Woodsky said, uh, I, or maybe it was Adam Nelson made the point. Like, I wish I was that comfortable with myself to be uh, just really not care or just have any uh, like perception of how people view you. You just 100 um, percent. 
you get to be yourself and whatever is most important. If you want to, you know, roll out in a pair of uh, Ranger panties and a scarf and combat boots, you know, you just do it because that's what the world's telling you to do today. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Not a single care in the world. But I'll tell you this. If there's a guy that can do that, it's probably Rudy because he's fucking shredded. And he's a good looking dude. So it's not like anybody's upset about it. Yeah. No, it's you like, know? hey, you, hey, you uh, shouldn't be able to do that. Uh, but, uh, like he's walking through New York, right? Like fucking in uh, uh, like Times Square with like, you know, a set of jeans that's cold out and just a scarf and no T-shirt. Nobody's like, hey, throw a coat on. Everybody's like, Jesus, that dude's fucking yoked. <laughs> I, I like uh, I'm, 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 I'm jealous. I'm, I, I, I have admiration. I got to get I got to get my ass to the fucking gym. And dude, on top of it, probably one of the nicest, most giving, uh, caring um, just fucking cool, cool well, cats yeah. I've ever been around. So I'll, you know, I'm stoked we'll to have more, them. more on Mr. Fucking, uh, donut bullet in a little bit, but that, so it was about this time too, that we were getting final word, um, maybe a few hours earlier that one of our speakers got tied up, family emergency, couldn't make it last minute again, Mr. Robbie Wolf. Uh, so he's flaked on us twice, any, which actually puts him in the big diva category. Yeah. Besides, besides the social implications for Rob, uh, you know, logistically as the behind the scenes, people get word of this, which is, you know, me, our buddy, Dave <laughs> fucking. Yeah. Thanks, like our, our John. crack logistical, our logistical team, yeah. us. Yeah. You're listening to them. We're like, fuck, you what know, do we do. And, um, so we, the plan originally was Callie has been working on this stand up routine. One hour of cat bits, and she was going to work in a closer with this skunk joke that is absolutely it's cat nips, not cat bits. You know what? It's not too late. It, but anyways, so we were like, "You're on." And then what fucking happens? Callie develops laryngitis and loses her voice. Well, do you know why? Laughing too much. Well, yeah, she she hasn't cackled <laughs> that much in years. Yeah. So you know what? She just hasn't done like She's like not conditioned. Well, hundred yeah. percent. So if she'd been linear, like doing a linear progression of cackling. She yeah. would have been ready, but you know what? She showed that she hadn't trained yeah. Four to her five cackle. deep belly laughs, and all of a sudden she's fucking, fucking lost out. her voice. Next thing you know, she's, she's like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm you know, Marge Simpson's sisters where yeah, they're smoking Patty cigarettes. Jim Carizzi's sister. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she channeled the Carizzi. Yeah. Hey, get over here. Is this your first day coaching? Uh, dude. I've been smoking cigarettes. It's, I guess being a cop isn't all the fun and games it's cracked out to be. Well, the problem is people are spitting laughs. in her food. Uh, it's for a cop. Anywho, so we have to fucking make an audible. And uh, Mike Wasselison of Move You fucking steps up and is like, bro, I can can do a presentation, no problem. Boom. And puts together a presentation to lead off day two. And like his first slide is like... Uh, Just a question. Do you think that Wasselison and Rudy um, are kind of of the same stardust? Yes. Uh, The thing... So so I met Move You Mike um, years ago. I, and I, I actually met him, and this is so fucking strange, I saw a YouTube video, or not a YouTube, but uh, Instagram, so I was scrolling through my feed, and like all of a sudden something popped up, and like somebody had like reposted one, you know, like this thing with, with shoulder pain, and he made a point, he's like, you know what, like uh, I can solve shoulder pain, and he was so impassioned about fixing shoulder pain that I reached out to him, I was like, dude, I have shoulder pain, I have a limited range of motion overhead, and he calls me, or I send him my number, he calls me immediately, and he's like, dude, I will fix your shoulder pain. Get the fuck down here. So I get in the car. I drive down to Carlsbad. He works on me like two to three days a week doing, and he's like, here's the deal. I know your shoulder's fucked up. 10 years in the NFL. Let's find a way. And this dude literally hammered on my shoulder nonstop to the point where finally he was like, I think you need surgery. 
He's like, because dude, he goes, I had like, at one point he was like standing on the he's table like on doing the like ropes, fucking right? karate chop moves to try to get my shoulder to mobilize. He's like, dude, I just think that, you know, you're, you're super guarded from whatever tear you have and we got to get there. But we stayed friends. And then before I left California, he came up at like eight in the morning and, uh, we started drinking beers and by like five o'clock, we'd solved all the world's problems and really had just come up with a bunch of branding stuff for Move You and what he wanted to do and really helped him just kind of materialize that. And we've just been friends ever since. And, uh, um, you know, we reached out to him when, when Luke said, hey, who do you want to bring in the symposium? And I'm like, you know, I'd really like to expose who, you know, the people that we have to Move You Mike and what he does. And uh, I think he's got incredible passion um, and just a really fucking cool person and really just a you know, great guy to have for us. So, um, yeah, so he came in, gave him a, a great presentation. Yeah, I, I would say non-traditional, lots of hip thrusting, a lot of hip thrusting. And use of the word dickhead. Yeah. His opening slide is like, who the fuck do you think you are, you dickhead? <laughs> well, good thing he wasn't at our CrossFit football seminar where I refused to somebody as a cheese dick. But I don't think it was the cheese dick that got us a negative review. I think it was Luke just dropping numerous F-bombs in the three minutes that he spoke. I don't. That's, that's pathos, John. He's got no ethos, no logos, so he's got to rely on the use of curse words and emotion. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what? I think and that's it fucking. Kills. I think that is a <laughs> Luke doesn't take the time to develop his ethos, and he sure you know. So he just goes straight up path, or you know, like the, the the pathos is straight up emotion. You know what they say? There's no logos in him. <laughs> what? Yeah. Who? Who? What? What do, what? They, say? What do barreling, they say? Barreling forward. Oh, so I will say this. I barreling asked, forward through I asked space. Dr. Tom for a fun fact, um, and he said, how about, I laid this one on me, and he said, you ever hear that there's no matter that can be created or destroyed? Like, you can't Yeah, the law it. of conservation of mass. Yes. So he said, how about this? If matter is destroyed, all these atoms go away, and then you find a, a mutual connection with somebody, the same energy, and you just click like that then it's possible that at one time the atoms that you have were connected to the atoms that you're hanging out with. So maybe wait, move wait, you. Wait, you mean Inky said this? Yeah. This is what Inkladon said. So maybe Jesus move you, Mike, Christ. and Rudy at one point in time were just two atoms and some bro mm-hmm. years ago. Legit dude, So, bro. well, like, um, they're stardust. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of when I, like, so when Rudy got up there, at, uh, Rudy's talk was fucking awesome. But he gets up there and, and he ends it and he puts up Ziggy Stardust and he's and literally it's a David Bowie uh, song playing and he's singing it and dancing and dancing. Uh, the best point is Woodsky turns to me and he goes, dude, if Rudy basically stopped the music right now and said, hey, my starship's outside and everybody come get on. We're we're leaving right now. He's like and he walked out and he got on and there was a starship out there and got on. He goes, how many of these people you think would follow him out? I'm like everyone me too and he's like yeah i'd fucking be sitting right next to him if, if his starship's outside we're all getting on and we're all going somewhere it drink this kool-aid first yeah and i was like sweet is it is it cherry flavored <laughs> so no it was uh it, it was cool man um yeah so movie you mike gets up uh crushes it out the box has a, a you know really sets the tone with just some incredible en- energy and just Gets rocking and rolling. So then Dr. Tom pops on with you uh, because last year Tom Ooh. went three and a half hours and we stayed at the venue another 90 minutes after we were supposed to get out and we just told the guy, like, we're not done. Yeah. And Tom was nowhere near done. So we're like, if we put him on the long road, which is the, our well, the it, segment where John, yeah. you and you and the guest or speaker well, or whatever. So, so the, I've, I've known Tom for, geez, almost 20 years now. And 
there's, there's stories and there's information and there are things that I know about Tom for over these years that I wanted to pull out of him, that I wanted people to know that he might not necessarily have ever talked about or ever really just you know, let people know. So I know that stuff. And so what I wanted to do was connect Tom with the audience on just more of a personal deal about his history, who he is, how he got there. And so uh, my job was just to basically pull that information out, like interviewing him and allow him to talk about who he is, because a lot of times he's never going to tell you this stuff, Mm -hmm. but being able to talk about how he grew up, where he grew up, his background and the things and just some of the information about him. And the crazy part is we didn't even get to the one, one of the, the single most important things that I wanted to talk about was Tom's um, graduate work at Arizona State. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk about that, but just a little story about Tom. When Tom was uh, at Arizona State doing his graduate work, they, he was working in like the performance lab, and they brought in a guy, and they wanted to train. Uh, the goal was to train a bodybuilder to win a major professional bodybuilding show without the use of performance-enhancing drugs. So they were going to do blood testing. They were going to do anything they could do with training, manipulation, everything. So he and another guy uh, did like uh, had access to this lab, had access to every technology available to them. And they were doing to the point where they were doing blood draws two or three times a day. And they were actually doing blood draws during his workouts so that they could see where all of a sudden he went from like, uh, you know, anabolic to catabolic. They were like checking his deal, like recovery. They knew exactly how much sleep he needed deal. And the guy stepped on stage and ended up winning the night of champions. And I forget the year. Uh, and it was probably the last time that a professional bodybuilding show has been won by a person not in performance enhancing drugs. So like they're elated, they're up on stage, they're fucking cheering. And it's like this amazing moment. And then, uh, so then the, you know, they go over and he's like, Hey Tom, uh, you know, whoever the other guy was, uh, I want to introduce you to my dad. And he said, the dude's dad walks over and goes to shake his hand and the dad's calves were like bigger than the sons. And the dad looked like he was about three or four weeks out from winning the bodybuilding show and probably could have beat the kid. He was like bigger, more vascular and more shredded than the kid. And he was like in his fifties and Tom was like, Oh, genetics. Genetics. <laughs> and like, it's the fucking best story because he tells it. And here's the thing. He's not telling the story with the idea of dropping the punchline. He's just, you know, Inky telling you honestly. And he's like, oh, yeah, it was great. We did this. And then uh, his dad walks over. We met his dad. And I look down and his calves are bigger than the sons. And then I start looking at his dad. And all of a sudden I realize that um, I probably could have trained his dad to get in shape to win that bodybuilding show faster than I could get the kid. <laughs> and I was like, so what does that tell you? He's like, well, you know, at the end of the day, genetics trumps everything. And, uh, you know, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And like, he kind of like, it, it was an incredible story. It's one of those things that's almost fantastic. These people are like, no way you could win a major bodybuilding show without diuretics and drugs and steroids and all this. And Tom's like, no, we did it. We did it in the lab and this is how we did it. And then he goes and talks about genetics, which is fucking the best story. And we didn't even get to that fucking story. I know. And dude, but what we did get to and what was the most compelling, you know, thing is we're talking about like kind of... What we're interested in, right? And uh, Dr. Tom was very... You mean send it? Uh, basically, how to send it. And that's what a lot of... Because the on-log road is also audience participation. So people got to ask Dr. Tom shit that they you know, selfishly want to learn about. But Tom had an agenda uh, here as well, which he cleared with us beforehand, which was he wanted to unveil to us his, uh, his warrior, uh, warrior Mountain Foundation, right? Mm-hmm. So this was his initiative, like... That was pre- the, the initiative previously known as uh, Dr. 
Thomas Inkledon's uh, genetic therapy, immunology. Of cancer, immunology, research, deficiency, center of excellence for people that want to read good and also do other things good too. Yes. And he's like, yeah, I know that was a shitty name. So uh, here's what we have now. And basically he got some backing by a family out here in Austin of whose daughter was diagnosed with a form of cancer with 100% mortality rate. And... This cancer has never been successfully treated. It's never been put into remission. I, you know, I forget the specifics of it. But basically, these folks went and lived in with Dr. Tom. And Tom did his genetic testing, his problem-solving algorithm. And what he ended up doing is curing this cancer. Literally curing it. And they modeled it out. And for the last year, they got to a model where they could cure this cancer for $60,000. And what he was excited to announce to us is through the fundraising and kind of rebranding of the Center for Research of Dr. Tom has been rebranded and re, I guess, refocused with this Warrior Mountain is they can now cure cancer for $30,000. And the goal is to get it down to $500 and then eventually get it to zero. Free, free for children under 18, right? And the significance here is fucking astounding it's a huge disruption of cancer research and major medicine and it's just fucking you get to see this fucking guy who's doing it he's the fucking guy doing it and he's a hundred feet away from us you know what i mean like that that scenario is always like well what if it's the person who could cure cancer and it's fucking Dr. Tom, the dude from fucking, he was out of the Bronx or something, right, John? Like, yeah, no, he grew just up in a Hell's poor Kitchen. Kid, poor kid out of Hell's Kitchen who fucking went to med school and was like, fuck this. I'm going to be a research scientist. And here he is out of Scottsdale, Arizona, in his little fucking lab. Like, I guess it is little, you know, all things considered. It's fucking state of the art, but it's little. And he's out there with his staff well, well, see, doing this crazy shit. See, here's the thing, man. Uh, Tom, and the reason that we've, uh, I've always consulted Tom, and Tom's been my go-to guy for fucking two decades, is because Tom Inkledon is not a conventional thinker. Uh, he's the person who's thinking outside the box on everything. And, uh, you know, no problem is, is insurmountable. There's just not enough information to solve it. And he's the guy who has been better at being able to figure out these problems where like, he'll find a guy that's doing something amazing on this point. And he'll be like, oh, that's great. Have you thought about this? And the person will say no. So he'll go find that person and then start kind of pulling in all this different information. Like, you know, you have a guy that just does blood testing. Okay, well, what about if we manipulate the blood testing this way? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Like, he's the guy who's asking the question of, like, why, how come we can't do this? And trying to basically put this puzzle together. And he looked at it from, you know, the model for cancer is broken. We're trying to, to basically treat people with broad brushstrokes where cancer is an individualized disease. It has its own genetic code. code. Yeah, yeah, so he went down and, re- and started doing genetic testing on people that had cancer and figured out that there was something within the genome, there was something within their genes that either, uh, you know... Um, you know, expressed itself or was there. And, you know, and then at that point going and figuring out like what treatments would work based off of this information Mm -hmm. and then finding just if, you know, other ways to look at it. Like they found that tumors and different cancer cells react to uh, ultraviolet lights and different colored lights. So then they went and they found a deal where they were using fiber optics actually injected into the vein so that they could irradiate the blood with light. And, 
they found that the cancer cells for specific cancers and also tumors uh, actually shrunk and reacted in response to different colored lights. I mean, and this guy and this technology uh, they were developing somewhere, he brought it in yeah. and they were using this. So, I mean, and what's where, crazy, yeah, like the treatment itself is is cheap. Like yeah. the, 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 the treatment he's applying is relatively right yeah. cheap, but it's the upfront fucking yeah. sleuthing that, that he's saying is very data intensive analysis, analysis intensive, testing intensive, because you have to ultimately like do the recon to see what enemy you're fucking fighting. And then once you got that, you know, the cheat code to fucking smash them, right. It's fucking compelling shit. But, um, that's the warrior mountain foundation is fu- go check out the fucking video they posted. It's pretty fucking, it's bone chilling, man. It's, it's epic, but um, no, you know, and it's just, I, it's such a funny, I guess, split of stuff we talked about with him is just like, hey, you know, what vitamin should I take if I'm recovering from is surgery? Is creatine yeah. good to take? And he's like, yeah. And, and then he's and, like, oh, by the way, I'm curing, like, yeah, happy and like it's, passionate and happy to answer that simple shit. But he's, he's trying to figure out how to disrupt a $50 trillion business of fucking basically killing people for for money and he's like you know the cancer model's broken they're killing f- people faster th- than uh than ever i mean it's at a zero you know success rate when you look at it and we're going to find a way to fix it and um all and so he gets up and says this thing so matter of fact that uh people i don't even believe can comprehend what he's fucking yeah, talking maybe, about maybe i like because we get to spend time with them you know yeah. i mean because you guys are such good friends tex and i are fortunate to to even have like the lifeline to them and ask him some, like, the most ridiculous, probably feeble shit, but he's so just, like, he's never, he's never taken a question from us or even on Talk To Me Johnny or anything where it's a, it's a below him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And for a guy who, Callie asked him last year, like, of all the things you chose this, like, you could be, you know, the, a Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? You could be a fucking astrophysicist and work on colonizing other planets and other multiverses, right? And he's like, uh, yeah, I just want to save people on Earth. Like, didn't nod it off or, like, laugh at it either. He he calculated it and gave a fucking science, like, a response. Well, he is, um, Tom's a, a fucking interesting dude in that uh, he believes there's really no dumb questions. There's just, uh, and, you know, Callie was trying to, like, in Callie's own way, I think she was trying to like goad him into a conversation, but also like you know he has a certain genius. Like, why did he choose this? And um, he'll he'll go back to it. He's like, I, I just really like lifting weights, mm-hmm. and like it's it's that simple. He liked lifting weights. He liked training. He really enjoyed it. And he's like, you know, like I was good at school, and you know he's in terms of performance training and what he knows, man. He's forgotten more than fucking ninety percent of the internet's even fucking written about yet. So, uh, you know, and if you go back and you actually ask people that have been in the strength game a long time about Tom Inkledon, they're like, oh, God, yeah, I, I read his books. And like, you know, he used to write for, for muscle mags. I mean, but, you know, you know, all this other stuff. So, I mean, and he's known he knows everybody I know. I mean, he's buddies with, uh, you know, Deepa Squally. He knows I mean, he's he's literally I mean, he battled and called out Barry Sears. Um, Oh, his dude, his best bear, friends with Sif. Yeah, uh, used to train at Mel Sif's place and remember telling Mel, hey, you better take care of yourself or you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And then when Mel passes away, he calls his wife and wants to get like, because there was thousands of pages of unpublished information, books, research that, that, that he and Sif had looked at. And he called his wife and being like, just send me all that stuff. I'll do something with it. Promise me. And she just fucking threw it all away. Kind of, you know, so... Like Tom's an amazing dude and just one of the uh, amazing people that I got to bring out and show. And then um, so so we broke for lunch um, and then came back and our pal Bert was up. 
Yeah. Right. And it was fucking. Um, I don't know. I don't think I'm selling him out or anything, but he was kind of nervous, man. Oh, he was. Like he was like. Well, he he doesn't really like, get up and uh, yeah. and present like that. And like I and I even sent him a note after. I was like, I know you were pretty nervous, um, but uh, not only was your speak amazing uh, or your talk was amazing, uh, you speak very well, and it just took you a yeah. few minutes. To, like I mean, I'm the same thing, dude. When I get up and speak in front of large groups, I'm always a little bit nervous, and then the minute that I get a laugh. As, mm-hmm. as like, as soon as I can see like a connection and get a laugh from somebody instantly, it all goes away and I, and I hit my stride. And I think for him, the minute he got up and yeah. he was, you know, talking about, you know, be, you know, being legendary and, you know, creating a, uh, you know, uh, like, um, like creating a, I mean, it's really just that idea well, of like the process, was, but a tradition, but like how, you know, his, how to make, it was like how to make impact. Yeah. Right. So, you know, he, he's like, you know, legendary has a lot of connotation. It's like, Here's how you make an impact in, in your life or someone's life, right? Being relevant when you're not in the room. Yeah. That's how we define legendary. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like fucking, you know, kind of broke it down in I think 10 elements or whatever. Um, in, without kind of spoiling it, the one that I did not catch that. I may have been running around, but that is fucking epic um, text. But what I did catch was in terms of being impactful and being either, uh, you know, authentic is uh, something he pulled from Woodski. Woodski's name is like floating around every talk, but was leaning in, right? So if you're sitting down and you have an opportunity to share a beer, share a cup of coffee and like shit's about to get real with the discussion um, and you're, you're presenting uh, your emotion or like need help and you're talking to the person across from the table to you, what do they do? Do they lean in or do they lean out? Because it tells something about it. And literally, I'm catching myself uh, just in recent meetings and talking with folks is like, lean the fuck in, man. You know? And it's just like little shit like that. It's crazy how those little nuggets, you know, there's one or two each symposium for me selfishly. And I'm sure for everybody who was at this fucking thing, it's like, this has just leveled me up, you know? But fucking, I, I thought it was great because. Dude, if you guys don't know who he is, president and CEO of Soren X Equipment, which we fucking we're staring at those uh, base camps right now in our gym. They just have an awesome fucking team and culture there. And, you know, the like John talked at Summer Strong, you know, they're not hiding behind a fucking some brand. The brand, their name is the brand. Their yep. name is on the building. Their name is on the equipment. Yeah, Richard Soren, his dad started it. And the reason it's called Sornex is they're not hiding from anybody. And he made a good point. He said, it's really hard to sell a brand when it's your name on the company, you know, and, uh, you know, and he said they, you know, they had a point where a bank fucking said to him, we won't loan you a single dollar. And he's like, you know, my dad had to sell his house. He had to mortgage everything. And, but he went all in, there was never a point where he said, you know what, I'm going to go do something else. It's either, you know, fucking be legendary or fucking go out and I, and dude, something I call the Highlander, which is, uh, it's better to burn out than fade away. And like, you know, Bert was like, dude, hundred percent, man, that was our goal from day one was to be, you know, to be the, you know, to be legendary and to be, to do what we're going to do. And it just, it took a longer road, but that's the process. Like, see, here's the thing, man. People always see like success and they go, Oh, that guy's an overlight success. Yeah, I'm a 30 year overnight success or people go, man, a power athlete, you know, is really blown up or, you know, like this, this type of stuff. I'm like, yeah, um, (laughs) dude, uh, you know, we've been around a long time or, uh, you know, this thing started, you know, uh, like this is, and I always have to remind these guys, this is my second fucking career. Mm -hmm. Right. I had a whole other career for for literally 10 years in the NFL, five years before in college. Like so for, you know, shit for for years, I had another career retired. And this is my second fucking swing at this thing. And it's like, uh, you know, 
shit, I wish I still got to play in the NFL, but unfortunately you, there gets to a point where they don't want you anymore. So you got to go do something else. But like the idea of like, there is no such thing as an overnight success. And I love when people say that, like, oh, these Sornix guys are blowing up. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Sornix has been around forever. And if you've been in the strength game, you know in it. And the the thing about Sornix, which I love, is that if you look at what Sornix did 10 years ago compared to what they do now, they have grown exponentially in terms of not only their quality, their finishes, their equipment, everything. It literally gets better every single day. And because they're this living, breathing thing and they're never going to be complacent if you look at like and i'll tell you this i'll call people out you look at hammer strength it's the same shit from 20 years ago they haven't changed a single fucking model they haven't done anything they haven't changed anything if you look at the sornex rack today compared to the ones dude there's a reason that schools fucking throw all their old like give all their old sornex away and then spend a million dollars to bring in all brand new sornex because it's literally getting better every single day and the equipment changes it evolves like that lap pull down when when i was out at um Sornex for our sympo- uh, for our CrossFit football or uh, I'm sorry SSA ass backwards deal or la- or one of the you know CrossFit events we taught. I looked at that lap pull down, and then when we ordered it and it showed up, it's fucking different than the one that I looked at that I played with. Right, the seats are contoured. You see how there's like the uh, the the kind of the roller there, so yeah, that the you can do roller, curls on motorcycle it. Motorcycle seat. Yeah, the motorcycle seat. So they are constantly looking at how do they evolve and change and make stuff better. And they take user feedback. They don't have ego, right? They said, hey man, if somebody knows how to do it better than us, tell us and we'll we'll do that. And everything they do is user feedback. So to to have a partner and a friend. And to have Burt come and, and uh, you know, have Power Athlete, uh, you know, associated with a company like Sornex is what we want to do. They're the type of people that I am more than proud to, to call as a, you know, uh, as a friend, as a, um, you know, uh, I guess you could say a brand partner and just really friendship because uh, not only is their shit crush it, it's the best in the industry. And who else would we go with? Two, I took a lot of notes, but two notes I'd love to, to share in line with what John was talking about two of his, I guess, guidelines for being legendary. One is be valuable. So establish the criteria you'll be measured upon. So using your name, you know, on your brand, establishing the criteria, we're not going to let that fail. And the second is be purposeful. You know, we got a lot of side hustles going on, so Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of time with free time. Mm -hmm. So when you are... Boredom's a luxury. Yeah, so when you are focused even when it's just on something you're interested in or passionate about kind of a side hustle project just be be extraordinary by always going for extraordinary you have to cut out the mundane mm-hmm. so being bored any of that so always be purposeful even if it's something that's you know just a passion project don't waste any fucking time mm-hmm. so he gets up and speaks and dude we, we can go on for hours about sornex but then our next speaker was another guy another guy who probably undervalued his contribution to this fucking weekend, Jim Steele. Yeah. So Jim Steele is a, uh, you know, longtime friend. I mean, um, I, for, I, I heard Jim Steele's name for a number of years. Uh, and the way we became friends was I wrote that little blog called 42 things that I learned up to 2013. Jesus, I was almost three or four years ago. Uh, four, shit, four years ago. Um, and he read it and sent me an email like, Hey John, this is great. Uh, you should write more. And I always remember, like, and we've kind of been friends ever since. And so when we were, you know, we had him on the podcast, uh, we went to his place at Penn and did a podcast that ended up not 
really going off with Zach Evan Ash for some technical reasons. And we just knew we wanted to connect him more with our group. So we reached out to him and he came and uh, we sat down and, um, you know, he was, I could tell he was a little nervous in the format, but I mean, he was a guy that could have got up and given, uh, you know, a presentation could have done anything for us. So um, it was great to just connect with him and introduce him to the audience. Cause I mean, his, uh, you know, his growing up in Maryland and, you know, Marty Gallagher and, uh, you know, Captain Kirk Kowalski and these guys, I mean, he is really just uh, embedded in that strength culture and his name is synonymous at Boss Barbell. So, um, you know, it's done bodybuilding, powerlifting, uh, you know, been a, a, you know, college strength coach for, you know, for 20 plus years. So really cool. Had a great conversation with him and um, yeah. just great, great storyteller, great presence, like uh, natural, authentic fucking flow. You know, and just, uh, I don't know, I, I got a kick out of it. He's definitely, he's going to be a repeater because he's got more to offer. And I think it was a cool way to introduce him to the event, you know, and vice versa, I guess, for speakers to, yeah. or our attendees yeah. to him. And just, yeah, just just getting any more on people's radar. So mm-hmm. uh, we do the long road with him. And then... Then we fucking... Well, here's the thing. We've been broing out for a little bit so and talking some meathead shit. So then Dr. Uh, Dr. Christy Anderson, Tom's partner in crime at Cosenta, comes up and just basically fucking melts faces with uh, pain treatment, right? So she's a naturopath, uh, functional she's medicine. Also, yeah, but isn't she also an MD? And an MD, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's she's got a, a lot of credentials behind her, and she's a sharp she's a sharp gal because I know Tex and I and John we go out to Cosenta get some blood drawn, and like even though she knows us, she's so fucking thorough because she wants to crack the code of anything that's ailing you. Right? Well, that and also uh, she knows that she has inky breathing over her shoulder uh, at all enough. times, which is funny because uh, every time that she's coming in, she's like, Tom's always buzzing in when you're here. I'm like, why? Well, dude, because he knows that I'm the barometer for success. And she's always <laughs> like, she's, she's pretty funny with it. She's got a good sense of humor. Uh, you know, a big thing we talk about at, at Power Athlete and you guys, if you listen to this podcast, know is empower your performance. But a big thing for me too is empowering uh, uh, people that might not always get a voice in the strength and conditioning and the health and performance market. And a lot of times that's women. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, as a, a father of daughters, yeah. it, it, it's hard for women to get an equal voice. So when we were talking about creating a lineup here, we wanted to bring on strong, uh, intelligent, smart women that are doing something that is changing the fucking game. Like Dr. Christie. Lindsay from BirthFit and also Ingrid. Uh, uh, Ingrid. So uh, yeah, Dr. Fis- uh, or Dr. Christie gets up there, talks about pain management, and really just comes out of the box. And, and like uh, options, options as well. So she taught, like she educated on some ozone therapy, PRP type stuff, injection therapy. But then what was awesome is the Q and A they had afterwards, and basically because one thing that co- I guess this is a bias, people, but the Cosenta folks are like you know they're trying to disrupt this fucking bullshit medical system that people are exposed to and just like pop a pill right so they uh liz harry's wife had a great exchange of q a like hey okay so uh yeah i want to make sure my clients have access to quality docs like you right how do we do that and it reminded me of like a friend you know running across at gym and a friend living across the state or across the country being like how do i know if i go to a good crossfit gym right because there are shitty crossfit gyms we've all answered this question and we're always like yeah and it's like okay so ask about strength progression let's say ask about uh what what do their coaches do for a living and if it's another job that's kind of a red flag right you want kind of a full-time deal uh you know so there's like this iteration and john like you know you've talked about it too is like don't just accept 
what a doctor says, respectfully, you know, question it and not, don't be a dick. So Christy kind of talked about how to navigate that with local practitioners, which I think is important. Like, you know, we just moved to Texas. Like, how do we fucking navigate that? And she kind of gave a toolkit for that. And I thought that was fucking epic. Um, and then that was our second to last speaker. And we shut it down with another on the long road with Woodski. Yeah. So we had Derek Woodski come in. Uh, Derek is, uh, like, <laughs> Smart dude, uh, but also a very accomplished athlete in that he uh, you know, grew up in a small town in Western Canada of about 200 people and, uh, you know, grew up, um, you know, you know, kind of in a, this kind of very humble and, and kind of harsh environment. And he tells the story that, uh, you know, he had never lifted weights, knew nothing in performance training, and they had like some county fair they had gone to. I think he said it was down in Fernie. And he shows up, and they have that weightlifting thing. He's like 15 or 16 at the time. And I he think goes, 14. Yeah, it was like 14, but he was pretty young. Uh, and gets underneath, and they have a, uh, like a weightlifting deal, and he squats like 420 pounds. So the first time, he said he's never squatted less than 420 pounds in, in his, his life. life. So he uh, knows. To which everyone's like, fuck, fuck you. you. <laughs> I, that's what I said. Fuck you. Um, so he goes through this deal that, uh, you know, they had gone out to, uh, you know, for sports, for school, and they had had some, like, shot put and some discus thing. And he goes out, and he throws it, like, exorbitantly farther than anybody else in the school had ever even attempted to throw it. And they're like, um, you could be pretty good at this. At which point he gets on, uh, when he graduates high school, he, he, you know, knows that, Hey, you know, there's no way I'm going to university because, you know, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. So he looks and he finds a, a junior college. That's the closest to his house, calls him up. So hey, before you go, like, let's yeah. save this because let's just say through creative process, finds himself on the team. Yeah. Cause you yeah, remember, like, yeah, yeah. So, let's just kind of do that. Yeah. One. So, so he, he calls up, he ends up getting a scholarship and goes to this uh, little junior college, which tends to, which like it turns out to be that like the coach for it ends up going on to be the U S Olymp or the uh, national coach, uh, Judd Nelson, I think who was like Adam Nelson. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of like just this a uh, Forrest Gump ish type deal where the feather just leads him there. He goes on and becomes like the uh, Canadian record holder in the hammer throw and like this and wins NCAAs and, you know, competes, I think it was at Montana and, um, Wyoming or oh, sorry, Wyoming. And, uh, you know, not only that, but then when he retires from competition, goes out and works for Poliquin and goes on the road and is like their largest producing speaker and like ends up traveling like what did he say? Like he, he taught like 294 seminars yeah, on the road for over on, on, 300 days. Yeah. Oh yeah. On, on the road for over 300 days, teaches these seminars and, uh, and now is a, the private strength coach for, uh, one of the Saudi Royal families. Uh, one of their, uh, one of the girls wanted to become an athlete and hired him and he's her coach in like training her and basically spends time in like Saudi Arabia at, with the Saudi Royal family, basically training one of their girls to be, uh, an athlete. I mean, just like, uh, like I would say probably one of the world's most interesting men in terms of strength and conditioning and like just, but, but also just a highly introspective, intelligent individual that has such a keen, um, sense of self and just a looking glass that is just, and, uh, and ability to communicate that. Yeah. And yeah. just an amazing speaker. It's one of the only times I've been sitting with somebody and thought to myself, Holy shit, dude, this dude could drown me in his wake. This is how smart this motherfucker is. And it was interesting just watching him speak. So even though y'all were sitting at the table next to each other, when he was kind of going into a story or, or kind of his organizing his thoughts, no, he didn't close his eyes. He just looked down to the ground and then just orchestrated this, this 
you know, very poetic response or delivery and everything. And it was just, he was 100% in his mind. No, he was, he was present 100%. He was in the moment, which is so interesting because how many people do you know that live in the moment? So, so this is, I mean, this has become probably one of the more interesting observations about the, you know, the presence of time right now where everybody's unpresent, like nobody's in the moment because everybody's always like social media here. I mean, the only example I can give was uh, a couple years ago before we moved out here, Steve Weatherford hits me up to come down and go to he and John Kearney's um, like charity deal. So they have this big charity dinner. It's like a, like a waiter deal where these people, uh, you know, buy tables or whatnot. And then we serve them dinner and it's like a big charity auction and they have, it's a fucking huge event. So Weatherford invites me to come down. I go down there. They have a big silent auction deal. And uh, Steve comes over to me. And he's like, hey, man, thanks for coming. And I was like, oh, dude, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about what you guys are doing? And I'm trying to engage him. And as he's doing it, he has two phones. And he's Snapchatting and Instagram or Facebook living and Instagram here. And he's talking to the phone. He's typing on two hands, trying to talk to me, which he doesn't. And, like, basically just, like, the amount of, uh, uh, like, of just fucking distraction in this and trying to do all these things. And I realize it's just his charity event and he, you know, he's building his brand and all this, but if somebody's going to show up for my charity event and here, I'm going to at least give them a few minutes of, of undivided time to be present and thank them and actually like connect and have a count, you know, like, like search for your counterpoint, like connect with them. And the one thing that was amazing about a guy like uh, uh, Woodski is he was 100% present in the moment And there was nothing more important than what that conversation was. And you know what? I get that feeling from, you know, guys like him, like Bert, like Rudy, everybody. Uh, The idea of being present and engaged is the difference between feeling, you know, like like making every person that's there feel that they are the single most important thing at that time. Because you know what? Like if what you're doing at that moment isn't the single most important thing, then why aren't you doing the most important thing? Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about that. Like when we were at the charity uh, auction, as I was rapping with our buddies from New Brothels, they kept saying to me, hey, I know we've uh, really been dominating your time. We're really sorry. They kept apologizing, feeling like they were keeping me from something. And I yeah. told them, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm here. This is, this is the most important thing to me at this very point. You know, talking with you guys isn't a... Um, isn't taking my time away, isn't a waste, isn't anything, dude. You guys are, uh, you know, you guys showed up to the event, you're contributing, uh, you guys follow the program, you listen to the podcast, like this is the most important thing that I should Mm -hmm. be doing at this very moment. And I think we've really lost sight in what Woodski really reminded me of is like, if you're going to take the time and the effort to do something like be on a podcast, uh, you know, fucking be present. And, um, dude, it's something I struggle with all the time with my kids, with work, with everything is like, because we're always trying to multitask on so many things, the idea of literally being present because there's nothing more, um, almost like ungratifying and kind of like, uh, I don't know, it leaves you kind of feeling like slighted a little bit Mm -hmm. that if you're trying to actually like show up to Steve Weatherford's deal. And I'm like, I I drive down two hours, take time for my family to go help his charity thing. And the guy can't even give me 30 seconds, 10 seconds, five seconds of undivided attention to thank me or more importantly, connect with me on a personal level. Nothing. And I think what's, what is what we glossed over in that reflection, John, is the significance of the fact that you met our six listeners in person all six of them showed up to the symposium. Our boy Logan and his fucking crew from New Braunfels kicked in the door. They're like, 
Sorry, guys, no listeners this weekend because we're fucking here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, but it's, it, it's true, man. Like, like, like that's something, and I think about this, like, uh, it, it, it goes through my mind like a hundred times a day about like, because, I mean, dude, like, you, you think about it, like, I'm sitting there returning emails or I'm sitting there working on something and, like, all of a sudden, like, my son comes over or, like, the kids want to be involved. Mm-hmm. And I know that I have a workflow that I have to get done, but I also know that I don't want my kids to look back and be like, uh, my dad was always fucking working. And even though he was there, he was, like, just a, a, a fucking taking up space or, or breathing our air. No, I know, man. And, and like, that's something, like, I, I, I really, uh, I think we all struggle with. And... You know, uh, I think uh, people do it in different ways. Like, uh, you know, like, you know, I'm sure parents, you know, some parents or some people sit on the couch and just get fucked up and drink beer or get fucking drunk. And like, that's their way of like unplugging and not being present. And the kids are buzzing around. They just keep drinking beer or they turn off, they watch TV. Or like, I remember my dad on Sunday mornings, like getting the paper and reading the fucking paper from like six in the morning to like nine in the morning, like three hours cover to cover LA times. And we didn't talk to him. We didn't, we just left him alone and that's what he needed. And we do need that. But I think in a situation like the symposium or like a situation like Woodski, the idea of being like present, accounted for, engaged, and that that moment in time is the single most important thing in this world at that moment. And that anything less is a disservice to yourself, the other person or the audience. And I just respected the shit out of him that that was the case. And I'll tell you this, I felt competitive. Like he's such a fucking smart dude and the talk was so good that I felt fucking competitive. And then I got this like weird feeling over me where I was like, I don't have to be competitive here. It's not my job. It's my job just to be the facilitator and to get him to the place that I need him to go to connect with the audience. And at that point it was fucking amazing. And we had the moment, we had our 2017 moment at that exact deal. Um, where all of a sudden he reflected on, you know, he used to write these microblogs and uh, he was, he didn't know if he was going to write them anymore. And then he got hit up by these guys that were like, you know, Hey, you got to keep writing these things. Our friend has cancer and we read these and these really are very powerful to us. So he, he's like still going with them and he kind of reached out to the guys like, Hey man, how's your buddy doing with cancer? And he said, uh, the guy hit him back and said, um, he died. But just know that we read, you know, your, your microblog, uh, was the last thing he read and it put a smile on his face. And he said that, and like, you could have heard a pin drop and you see him tear up like that. This was like his moment to be present and out of respect for him, the moment and everything, not a single word was said. I just started clapping and the whole place fucking erupted and, uh, uh, standing ovation. And at that point, fucking nothing more needed to be said that was the fucking yeah that was our our moment no questions nothing and dude the guy was literally brought the fucking house down as he should but it's so amazing to see somebody have that like have the potential to have the moment and actually fucking cross the threshold and do it and feel like you're a part of it and be like okay this is fucking amazing let's just end it here and we did and then we got a chance to go to my house Yep. And have probably the other best moment of this 2017 symposium, the state classy crew and power dot power dot. Thank you. Uh, comes through, brings uh flutters out. Who's like Nike trainings, private chef. They fly him out state classy meets, which is a, uh, raises these bisons, these Kobe bison up in uh Yellowstone park brings like 140 ounce Toby Kobe fucking tomahawks, which is the official steak cut of meat for power athlete 
is the Kobe to- fucking tomahawk. Mm-hmm. They bring 40 of these yes, things. Yes, this is a fact. Yeah, it, well, it is. And uh, the fact that they brought 40, or sorry, 140 ounce Kobe fucking tomahawks as a big fuck you to uh, CrossFit HQ. So if you're listening to this, go fuck yourself. Uh, the They show up... I buy this big ass cowboy cauldron, this 42 ounce epic fucking barbecue. Um, that's like this hanging fucking fire pit. Flutters goes out there, cooks these fucking steaks. Um, Steve, who's the owner of Steak Classy Meats, gets up, talks about the bulls, how they raise sustainability, how they're trying to change the model. Um, and just, dude, puts this, this dinner that goes off at my house. Um, Dude, we had just finished our backyard. We got the lights strung. Everything looked amazing. Dude, went off without a hitch. And, uh, dude, it was probably the other best moment of that whole deal. 30 people just smashing fucking animal flesh off the bone. Off the bone. bone. Because it's Kobe fucking tomahawks. And, dude, it's just the way things should be fucking done, right? And it was a crowd of like-minded individuals throwing back cocktails eating fucking steaks, celebrating friendship, some newfound friendship, some fucking old friendship, and, like, and truly, you know, like a family party moment, you know, and it was fucking epic to just have a lot of great character in one place at the same time and smashing Kobe Tomahawks, just happily smashing Kobe Tomahawks. No, it was great. I, um, no, we, we had an amazing event, so we were stoked on that. Uh, everybody had a great time. Re- another and, uh, shameless fucking... Because state classy meets fucking crushed it, yeah, and their no. so their their objective is to bring that multi provide an opportunity for the multi generational rancher, right? It's fucking quality meats, quality raised beef, bison, uh, and various other proteins, right? Um, and they're launching in like Feb, right? Yeah, yeah. no, I, uh, they they asked me like, hey, you know, what can we do for you? I'm like. I just need a whole bunch of this in my freezer. And the guy was like, just send us, tell, tell us what you want. And I hit him back and was like, well, tell me what you got because I want it all. And it, so, like, f- f- I'm telling you fucking people, like, check out stayclassymeats.com or just Google Stay Classy Meats and fucking sign up and plug in because it's, I think this is going to be, this is where it needs to go, man. Like, the cyclicality of this thing. We're in this big ag type of cycle now. And I think it's going to cycle back to the, to empowering the little guy, right? The small business. And, providing a platform to do that that's the objective there with these guys so it's epic so yeah we finish up that day uh then we come back on the next day and we open up with yeah the uh, major variable right because it had fucking snow it rained all week leading up to and snowed thursday before the symposium and as you it it doesn't snow in austin and as you as you listeners may or may not know uh we the gym here is freshly built so there's not it's not like we sodded anything you know we didn't pave the whole fucking property so (laughs) which is i think we're going to go back and put in some yes we had to grade we had to grade and there was soil and that soil souped up into fucking muck and we're like fuck how are we going to pull this off because it's kind of indoor outdoor logistical thing and you know again the 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 elite the elite status logistical planning team was just basically sitting on like, what is the fucking audible here? And, you know, (laughs) uh, we found out basically midday Saturday, like kind of poked at it and we're like, fuck it. It's going live. And we fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. Lebowski. We were able to fucking pull the lever and make it happen as planned because there was a couple audibles in the hopper that weren't ideal for Saturday morning's practical sessions with Ingrid raw. I'm sorry. Sunday Ingrid Roth, uh, Dr. Tom, and yours truly, Tax McEwen. <laughs> See. And uh, so people fucking showed up, and we had 100 people at a time, had a trolley shuttle them here, and fucking they got exposed to, like, honestly, again, another con- 
like a con- the continuity of delivery of material between three strangers. I know, Tex, you've worked with all of them, so you kind of knew it was coming. Three strangers one in a house. Yeah. But the, the folks who had never worked together, Ingrid, sure. Roth, and Dr. Tom. Tom. And it fucking, dude, people's minds just got blown. And we fucking, we managed to pull that off. And anyone who's planned this type of shit where you have to rely on the weather, it's the worst because it's, it's just the worst. It's the worst. It was the fucking. Well, it's the worst until it's not the worst. And, and then the it's the best. best. Yes, that's the To the quote Nate Austin. Nate Austin, that is the Nate Austin <laughs> single defining factor. Everything's the best until it's not the best and then it becomes the worst. Bingo. And vice versa. But uh, that, that was how we kicked off uh, the first part of the final day. Uh, and people fucking, I'm telling you, it was awesome. It, it, we had to cut that off at 100 people just because capacity yeah, issues. we just didn't but, have the ability to go with more people. So we rolled back in and... Uh, and then we had Lindsay. Lindsay. Yeah, Lindsay so, Matthews from BirthFit. So uh, um, if you guys haven't checked out BirthFit and, and you guys haven't checked out Lindsay, go check her out. Go look out BirthFit.com and see what this girl is doing in terms of setting the conventional methodology in terms of not only childbirth, childbirth yeah. pre and postnatal and what they're doing. I mean, she looked at it similar to Dr. Tom, like, what are we doing now? What are the problems it's causing? What did we do in the past? What were the changes? And, um, you know, it just some pretty amazing stuff in terms mm-hmm. about, you know, chiropractic training, massage, like every discipline they could think to prepare women to go through this thing called childbirth. And the idea that if the child is born without some form of drugs, uh, not only does the uh, childbirth happen much faster, the mother is healthier, the baby is healthier, and the woman's recovery is dramatically faster. Mm-hmm. And so they went back in time and, uh, you know, looked at what the midwives were doing and really just put together a system and now she's gone out and educating coaches and creating these uh you know birth fit kind of uh uh, coaches to work with not Mm -hmm. only these women through this process where you know we've gotten to this idea where uh you know having a baby is a medical process when it's not every human being on the planet has come into this world the exact same way and we've done this for fucking hundreds of thousands millions of years evolution has happened this way and so all of a sudden now modern medicine has got into this deal and we have to do this and this and they look at it more as treating a disease more so than anything and uh this girl is doing some amazing stuff and like in our vein of empowering performance bringing a voice for for more uh badass chicks involved she came in and um uh like i don't think the audience was ready for what she was talking about but i'll Mm -hmm. tell you this she like it was one of the best uh best best things that I saw at the symposium and mm-hmm. probably one of the most needed. I mean, we talk about battling Absolutely the bullshit the most needed, yeah. in terms of like what we do in performance training. This is battling the bullshit in terms of like childbirth and how to have strong babies. I mean, and a personal story. Um, we always laugh with my mom. Uh, my mom, when my mom's water broke with me, my mom drove herself to the hospital. She had me in 45 minutes and I was a 10 plus pound baby. And then she was home before noon because I was born at 730 in the morning. She was home before noon and left me at home with my grandmother and my brothers and then went to the store and the the, uh, the, the baby doctor, uh, her gynecologist or whatever, the uh, OBGYN, saw her at the supermarket or at the market. My mom went down to Moore's Market and was buying something. He saw her in there at like six o'clock that night and was like, the fuck are you doing here you just had a 10 pound baby at 7 30 this morning and she and my mom was like you know typical my mom why well, got fucking kids to feed yeah get the fuck out of my way yeah and yeah. literally got in the car and drove herself home 
And like that story of like, um, you know, no drugs, just fucking old school mm-hmm. women. Like that's, that's what she's, uh, she's trying to like, well, like as she was bringing it back, all I could think of is, is you should bring Doris Wellborn in as your fucking birth advisor to be like, well, just bite down on this fucking stick and just have this baby. Cause she even made a good point. She's like, you know, uh, the reason that these women are going through these 18, 19, 20 hours of labor is because the drugs are prolonging this thing. The reason that it's painful and that this process happens is so that it can get over fucking fast. Mm-hmm. And like we've gone back, but uh, she did, she had some amazing shit. And um, yeah, I was just stoked to hear the some, info. So as a, I guess, no kids, but willing to start a family, right? It was very informative for me. Some staggering statistics. The fact that there's like a loss of mentorship in mothering. Well, well here, here's the thing and too. support uh, network. Uh, like, and, uh, like uh, breastfeeding. Right. You would think that breastfeeding is mm-hmm. a um, and th- this is on a separate vein, but this one always amazed me. I just kind of figured breastfeeding was like that's how mother mammals have basically fed baby mammals since the beginning of time. Right. Uh, in nature, um, there really isn't any learning curve for like if you want to see like uh, um, fucking cows or just any type of animal that, you know, drinks milk like it's pretty self-explanatory like they figure it out pretty fast yeah they latch and it's done humans on the other hand it's much more complex and i remember when uh when my we first had our twins like the breastfeeding thing and i remember being like well don't you just know how to do this shit don't the babies just figure it out and when i did some research it turns out to be uh a very very um complex deal and the reason being is forever we lived in these kind of uh you know small social circles and as women had babies there were always older women aunts mothers different people around support that network. were like a support network to show this how this would happen and now that we've not really in this tight support network then now it's not as prevalent. And I remember reading it and being like, well, we need to find it. And so we found um, these dual ladies that came in, straight up did it. These women came in and like, because Kate was breastfeeding both of them, literally got the kids to latch, taught her how to breastfeed, got everything done and like locked it in to the point when Kate, when Kate had cash, uh, when she had our son, uh, you know, we were in the hospital or whatever. And like, you know, the lady, like the nurse comes in and she's like, well, do you want to, you know, start working on breastfeeding? And Kate's like, I've been breastfeeding for, you know, the last couple hours. Like she went and got the baby and literally was like this. And Lisa, like, do you need help? And she's like, no, I had twins. Like I breastfed exclusively for fucking six months in a year. Like I know how to do this, but that knowledge base and like that piece, mm-hmm. like you need somebody to teach it. And I think what, uh, what we forget is that, um, that it's, it's a fucking, it's a tough process. And like, she is. Yeah. The, one of the more compelling things that she was talking about is that, as there's research and theory, so you know, and she's she was clear on that. That that's all know, done by men. <laughs> the, uh, you know that after as early as seven days after conception, baby starts to experience the environment of the mother through the mother, right? And specifically movement, which is where you know she created a, you know her version of fundamental movement patterns. To, that uh, babies will use to develop an upright walking pattern and healthy healthy movement as a young adult and into adulthood. And the what they're doing is it's also kind of therapeutic prenatal, postnatal work movement flows as prehab rehab for the moms. So they're fucking exposing, in theory, the infant to these patterns by having the mother do similar patterns prenatal, postnatal. Is it really crazy? I mean, no, like it's, it's It's so, it's like, it's it's so so brilliant. And it's like, it's so like when you direct connection, well, when, and when you're listening to it, you're like, 
wow, there's no doubt in my mind that the information that she is telling us right now, yeah, it's why not... Why wouldn't people be all doing... Why isn't like, this like mandatory well, shit? Because, because here's the thing. Um, we have this idea, like, and if you look at like what's happening right now, especially with like uh, abortion, mm -hmm. right? There's this idea that the unborn fetus is not even a life form until mm -hmm. it, it, it crowns, until it comes out. Yeah, so they kicks like, out the door and is like, I'm here, bitches. Yeah, yeah. So, so, there, so the idea is that for abortion, if they can basically keep the idea that if, if you come out and say as early as seven days, that baby has the ability to connect with the mother to not only know movement and experience, and the, experience environment. the environment that the mother is within seven days, then isn't that a living organism? That's the thing. Yeah, it is. So then you have this abortion thing, which uh, is a heavy uh, topic. We fuck, uh, Kate and I argue with this one all the time. She's like, well, no, nobody should have the right to tell a woman what to do with her body. Okay, that's true then. But then you also want standardized health care where now you don't want me to tell you what to do with your body, but now you want the government to provide me health care. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 like, we argue about this constantly. I'm like, here's the deal. I don't, um, abortion, uh, like, I don't think anybody, like, am, am I pro-choice? Should people have the ability to decide what they want to do with their body? Yes. Um, am I going to tell them what to do with their body? No. But uh, am I so naive to think that if you conceive a baby, that um, if you go and have an abortion, uh, that that is not killing a, a living organism? I don't believe that, mm -hmm. right? Because based off of her talk, if the baby can experience a mother's environment without seven days, then to me, that, that is a living. And I've always felt like that because, I mean, dude, I've seen I, like... This is such a hot topic and people, you know, I believe in this and this, but at the end of the day, here's my thought, man. Like, um, at some point, should everybody have children? No. Should mm -hmm. you have, uh, can do, do we ask people to pass a driving test to get a driver's license? Yes. Do people have to have a, uh, a basic intelligence test to own a gun? No. So, but, so, so I mean, here, even to adopt a fucking dog, dude, you get a home inspection, inspection right? right? But anybody can have a child. And like, mm -hmm. like, this is crazy to me. Just like I, I don't believe in gun control, but I think you should have to pace, uh, pass a basic fucking intelligence test, mm -hmm. background check and shit. Uh, like yeah. That. Like, I mean, dude, I, I don't think you should have gun control, but I, I also think that like we, we, uh, we license people to drive cars. You ask people to license them to fucking fly planes. Uh, you know, I go through to the airport and I have to fucking get my balls fucking rubbed on by TSA. Uh, you know, have to. That's air quotes, people. Yeah, fuckers. Well, because well, like, right. Well, I think we got the the promo picture. <laughs> uh, dude, it's awful. But um, my thought is this, man. Like, if you know, at some point, I realize that asking people to take personal responsibility for shit is never going to happen. But like, here's the deal. Like, um, yeah, and and I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I there was a a deal on Instagram where a guy put up a quote. That's it's actually a paraphrase quote from Charles Darwin that was pulled out of like I want to say like the origins of of man or I can't remember exactly what the book is but I I remember reading the book years ago in college but I, I remember the quote and uh, it's the one that basically people use for like you know that empowered the Nazis to kill people you know the idea that like not every human being should survive in nature that doesn't happen so why is it that we coddle the weak in the society and it, and it comes to a watering it down. And uh, it's tremendously paraphrased. People have used it for years, but if you read the whole piece, it makes a lot of sense. But like, here's my thought is, uh, should everybody be having kids? No. Should you have to pass a basic test for it? 100%. Because being a parent is by far the single Easy, right? most important thing that any fucking human being should do. Main and hustle. 100%. Because uh, like, but here's the thing, like, 
we don't like we don't really look at it like that, do we? People are just like, oh, let's have some kids, and uh, they should turn out fine. I turned out fine. Yeah, that's that's my strategy. Yeah, that's that's is my that fine, right? The, am yeah. I taking the wrong angle? But then like, but then you watch Caesar Milan, and they're and he'll like talk about like, oh, if your dogs aren't exercised, given good food and occasional attention, they destroy things. And I'm like, wow, for dogs, huh? Which are a simpler being, but yet if we don't give human beings good food, basic attention and exercise mm -hmm. maybe this would come through and yet when i watch caesar <laughs> milan i'm like wait a minute but we have a sh like like it just i'm gonna the I'm fucking gonna, questions of the world i'm gonna loop it in real quick and i do have to give a disclaimer because i'm nervous that seven days isn't the right number but seven is probably it it could be days or weeks for what Lindsay's talk about experience either way i'm just maybe a little cya there but we're gonna have some of this prezo stuff up for you and you're gonna learn about it people but anyways I agree with you, John, that, you know, understanding who our audience is, uh, because it's predominantly like, uh, you know, 24 to 30 year old males. Right. Um, and there's, there's a good amount of ladies in the audience as well, but like, I think it would, dudes do not know this shit and the importance of it. And I thought it was like by, by far one of the most valuable pieces of information. But again, maybe I'm biased because I'm on the cusp of fucking this easy journey called parenthood. Right. But barreling forward, uh, you know, and Lindsay thanked us. She's like, thank you for putting me where you put me. Because if you would have put me later in the day, it would have been trouble. Because she would have been after Ludi. Oh, Ludi. Ludi. So uh, Rudy, before he gets up and gives. Ru the Reed, uh, yeah, the when Rudy the, the Rudy, or the real, real oh, yeah. Rudy real Reyes. Rudy Reyes. Real Rudy, opposed from the fake Rudy Reyes. Uh, Rudy kind of gives me a preview of his talk. And in it, he was uh, talking about, Ludi, you can't shoot bullet do uh, donut bullets. And I'm like, what? And he was talking about, <laughs> Ludi, those donut bullets won't kill anything. And I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about with donut bullets? Like, so yeah, I got it locked in. Yeah, so, so, and then he's like, oh yeah, talk's gonna be great. And I'm like, what? I'm like, donut bullets? What the fuck is he like? I'm not a donut guy. I know there's a lot of people out there that are like big into these donut things. Ah, I'm just not a donut guy. Like it's just not my jam. And um, I just figured like maybe he was trying to appeal like, you know, donuts and deadlifts, still, you know, donuts and dildos. I mean, any group out there that's big into donuts that likes dildos and deadlifts is fucking big into donuts. And there's a kind of like a buzz amongst the speakers. Like, are you, do you know what he's talking about with the donut bullets? Anything? And so then he like, goes, where the fuck is this going? So you know? then he, he, he gets up there to give a talk and I'm like, we don't know this, where this is going. And all of a sudden, fucking Ziggy Stardust shows up. He transcends and, and he basically starts putting up these slides that he's put together that are kind of of uh, the pillars of his life, his mantras, the things that he believes in. And he fucking goes down this road and he gets into a story about, um, you know, he was, uh, he was raised in an orphanage in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, he ends up meeting this guy who was like Chung Lee Sit, Chung Su, Chung Su Sit. I can't remember. So uh, yeah. I just remember the last guy's I'll name. I'll try and look it yeah, up. So, so the guy's last name is Sit, who's like a short order cook at like a market near the place. Straight up Mr. Miyagi style. He started, he turns out to be like a Kung Fu master and trains Rudy in like Kung Fu and then puts Rudy out into these like, you know, Kumite uh, events. But here's the best part about Rudy's talk. Rudy gives you no... Chun Man Sit. Yeah, Chun Man Sit. Rudy gives you no context 
for anything in his talk. Time, place, location. Nothing. He just drops you in the middle of shit. And all of a sudden, he's talking about being at this martial arts tournament, and he's doing teacup hands, and he's fucking imitating these fucking things that he's going with. And what we don't, what he doesn't tell us is uh, he won, I want to say it was like 20 world championships in Kung Fu over the course of a number of years. And he told me this. Shorter. It was like a course of a couple weeks. Yeah. Like, no, no, it was, no, no. But I, it was over a couple of years. He was won. It? Okay. Yeah. He wins 20 of these things. The only other person to win 20 world championships in Kung Fu was Bruce Lee. So if you look, it's like Bruce Lee and Rudy Reyes. Jesus. Yeah. So uh, he goes through this whole, whole shebang and then gets into this like drops you in the middle of this story of like they were like in uh, Iraq and like, you know, this whole thing where, uh, you know, they got dropped in the middle of Iraq and they had um, their camouflage that they had was like jungle camo and they were in a desert environment. And so he's searching for like flour to camouflage their gear and tells a story about like General Mattis, who at the time I think was like Colonel Mattis or whoever comes through and like has this like storybook meeting of him. I mean, just like... Not only an amazing storyteller, but such a impassioned dude. And then uh, showed this uh, this video that, or this this clip, this commercial deal that's on um, on YouTube for Beyond, Beyond. Beyond, yeah, for Beyond his sponsor, uh, which is ironic, seeing as it was filmed in Iceland. And like the imagery and like the the way that they filmed it was just made me jealous I wasn't there. But the best part about it is we had Rudy on our podcast or we tried to get him on and he called us from a sat phone in Iceland while he was filming it. Hey guys, we're on the podcast or whatever. I might get dropped. I'm on a sat phone. I'm filming this thing in Iceland. And we were like, we can reschedule dude. And he did. And he, then he flew out and crushed it. And we kind of thought... Well, he rescheduled twice. The second time... And he we was, thought he, we were that like, before we really knew him that well. We and just thought like, he was like a big diva flakey. And now... Big, big diva. Now I wouldn't say that about him. No, he was probably trying. And, you know, at first didn't really understand how to make the call. Right? He does, he's not super tech guy. Right? Uh, then he found this... Probably told the guys, like, well, you're going to need a sat phone. And he fucking was like, okay, I'll call my sat phone guy. Which he probably has a sat phone guy. A guy like that. Gets a sat phone, and then we're like, uh, yeah, sat phone's not the best recording media. Yeah. We'll just reschedule. He's like, all right, well, I'll just show up one day. And then fucking boom, there he was. He right? showed up one day, and uh, that was epic. Because like we had our one of our best, uh, our amazing podcasts with Rudy, which was hilarious because this has never happened to me before. But after we pushed it out, I had probably a dozen texts and phone calls from people in various, you know, similar work environments to him, people I've known, like people that are legit fucking operator type of people that were like, what the fuck happened? And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, we listened to this. And then the best is, uh, I guess Bert was like sending it around to people. They're like, dude, listen to this. And uh, like the best is Bert calls me and he's like, dude, that was epic. I'm like, you didn't even hear the two hours before or the two hours after. <laughs> you just got dropped into like the, the middle, middle of hours. this things. The two hours before were, were like, and then the two hours after where all of a sudden he like went on a vision quest. Dude was epic. Like he, he just an amazing time, an amazing speaker. I got, the, I got the stats here. So 14 gold medals, four Wushu Kung Fu Midwest Championships, as well as 10 Jingwu International Grand Championships, an esteem honor held only by one other American-born martial artist, Bruce Lee. Yeah. And uh, he almost took you down. Uh, you know what, though? 
he didn't because why because <laughs> i fucking escalated faster than him i saw the writing on the wall and where that was going and knew that i was going to have to escalate faster and that's why i put him down and i was happy to just be not involved in that yeah and i was thinking when, my when i looked at that like, uh, when i looked a, at that barbecue poker i thought i might have to take him down and kill him with this barbecue poker if he goes crazy but you didn't and we learned never shoot donut bullets and fucking Rudy gets standing O, like you said. And yeah, and then we, his spaceship landed and we all went on, got it, and if we were all right, it was epic. But then we shut it down after the next fucking speaker, which, uh, which was did hilarious. Not disappoint. Adam Nelson, who is, uh, had like uh, probably Olympic gold medalist, yeah, Olympic gold medalist, thrower. silver medalist thrower, like, dude, has probably one of the best stories on the, in the history of, of sport. And uh, the best part is, is the guy's like NCAA speaker, you know, uh, travels around, works for Equinox, like just like an amazing dude. And all of a sudden he walks over to me and goes, how the fuck do I follow that? And he's like nervous and I can see the nervousness. And I'm thinking when you have a dude that has fucking a gold medal who we're, who are going to get to close the symposium and he's fucking nervous because Rudy's talk was so fucking out there. And all of a sudden, what does he do? He goes to his car and proceeds to get the silver and the gold medal that he won that he had never taken to a talk, never showed, puts him in his pocket as a fucking trump card, as fucking horsepower in case he feels that he needs something to push him over the top to battle Rudy Reyes in the fucking finisher. And he comes out, dude, and crushes it for the for the final talk talks about i mean just if you guys just do a little bit of googling you can check him out if you weren't there you suck but his deal about basically (laughs) well he he was on our podcast previously as well unbelievable but twice but the deal is basically he loses the gold medal in 2004 by like a fraction of an inch on the final throw yeah basically overtime yeah basically overtime and you know he's in Greece. He's in like the 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 home of the Olympic Games. It's his fucking moment. And all of a sudden he gets branded as like a you know the loser, the first loser, silver medalist, two two Olympics in a row. And uh, eight years to the day, you know, 2012, eight years to the day, he gets a phone call that they went back and retested the samples for the Greek Olympics and the guy that beat him tested positive and he's the, now the gold medalist. So waits eight years thinking that he's the first loser to all of a sudden now do a medal exchange in the uh, Burger King of the Atlanta airport for his gold medal. And he said he's standing there and, you know, and like he didn't get to see his hung, his flag hung at the highest point, didn't get to hear his uh, national anthem played. And I was actually thinking about the millions of dollars that he lost over the course of that eight like years, endorsements, endorsements he lost his sponsors, speaking engagement, book deals, USA Today. I mean, dude, when you win a gold medal, I mean, look at the girls from gymnastics, like that type of stuff. I mean, sets those guys for the entire point of his life. And here it is in absolute obscurity becomes a gold medalist. Mm-hmm. And like that fucking like the dedication, the amount of time, the thought and everything. I mean, to go to the dark place, the journey, the valley, whatever you want to call it. And then all of a sudden to be standing there and get this thing and be like this fucking piece of shit. Right. I mean, dude, just such a fucking amazing talk by an amazing human being. And, and, um, and, and the recovery, I don't know if that's the right term, but the process after that moment and just polarizing moments in that talk, fucking uh, highs, lows, and then fucking punchline and, Lights fade and fucking standing O, and it was over. And that was it, man. And it was like, um, I guess from our side of it, months of hard work. Uh, 
you know, late nights, early fucking mornings. You know, the there's while well, we joke as the logistical crew, we had 13 or 14 volunteers, right? Uh, fucking MCK missed a whole day, fucking getting some shit ready. Uh, fucking Brewer. the yeah. driver, Un- Uncle Dave, the driver, uh, yeah, Ben Taylor, right? Yeah, BT. Uh, <sighs> Couldn't happen without those guys. And I know, like, if you're listening, you're like, oh, cheesy fucking thank yous. No, sincere thank yous, because I don't think you understand, like, we joked about this leading up. Like, this wasn't about a fucking party barge, right? We were trying to do a fundraising vehicle, but really in actuality, we sit back, we reflect on it, and it's been a few days, and it's just like, what the fuck was this? Like, what just happened, right? We had our moment. You know, and it that was it. It's like, you know, this isn't about anything. This isn't about some fucking sales objective. We're not trying to sell tickets. Like, and, and we got some mentorship from, from Bert and the guys who do Summer Strong, and it's like, you know what this is? Is this is just, this is what it was always intended to be. Back in 2012, 13, whatever the fuck our first one was, was let's get some people out here. Let's have a, a Power Athlete Nation appreciation weekend. Like we appreciate, we truly, sincerely are just extending what we have to offer to the people who look up to us or integrate with us. And, and when you look at it that way, it becomes a lot fucking simpler on what we got to do, the mission. And we didn't go in with that, that looking through that lens on this one. It was, it was, too, it was too complicated. Shocker, text, like, you're like, no fucking shit. You're, that's what you do, Luke. But, well, if you could choose one moment. If I could choose one moment? What was your favorite moment from the weekend? Uh, honestly, so I left Woodski's deal uh, because I came to do the side hustle of the weekend to help set up for Saturday. And uh, Callie texts me. She's like, this thing's perfect. And I'm like, what? What? You know, and I'm, I'm like, call me. So she calls me. She gets out. You know, I can hear the fucking crowd. I can hear things going on. She gets into a room. She can barely fucking talk because she does have laryngitis. And she told me what happened with Woodski. And I was walking down this driveway right here, and I fucking sat down on the curb and just, like, took a minute. And I'm like, we fucking did it. Like, this is what it, this is what it was about, right? And I wasn't even there. But my favorite moment was that moment, is, is solidifying and putting a stake in the ground of what we're capable of, what the network that, that we, we're exposed to, whether it's through this podcast or the cool shit we do outside of the gym. I mean, the, a lot of people probably look at this thing like sets and reps and movements, and it's like, I don't know, I guess, it, yeah, it can be, but there's people out there who can get more out of this, and I know we, the, us three here at this table are those people, and if we could just trickle that out 10%, 10%, one weekend a year at the Power Athlete Symposium, I think, you know, selfishly, Bert talked about, you know, making an impact and being legendary. That's our moment. Like we're creating that footprint. And I know, John, you've asked me like, what's the goal, man? And this is like state of readiness 2012. I'm like, I just want to leave a footprint. And I think that our team is doing that with this little fucking get together and with no ulterior motive. Right. And I think there's a level of integrity in that, that is pure and authentic. And like, it was Saturday night, you know, whatever, 5:45 PM. That was the moment for me. Yeah, I would definitely say Woodski's moment was pretty amazing. Um, the other one is, uh, and, I, and this is just kind of a laugh, but I remember like uh, before Luke left, he gave the microphones to different people because we were kind of, when the, we did the long road, uh, people were asking questions. And like as Woodski like dropped that and all of a sudden like I see him like as he, as he kind of gave that piece about the guy passes away and I see like the tear and him kind of, you know, basically like eyes welt up and they could hear a pin drop. I like, just as I went to go clap, I saw Bobby with the microphone and I like looked at him and he wasn't even going to like 
hand it to anybody. Nope, nope. So like I see him just standing there with like the microphone at his waist. And I like, just as I was standing up and I see tears in Rudy Reyes's eyes, like he's crying. And at point I literally just stood up. I knew there was going to be cool questions. Like that was the deal. And I'd stand up and we'd start clapping and the whole thing fucking erupted. Yeah, it's a good call. That piece uh, was amazing. The other most amazing, like my moment was... Uh, it's blackout. We got like in the backyard, we got the backyard done, the pool's lit. We, we got like the Christmas lights up, the table set. And like, I'm standing out there, this huge, like I, I had them pour when they did the concrete, this 15 foot by 15 foot pad next to the pool, because I wanted to get this thing called the cowboy cauldron. It's like this big, like tripod with this big fucking crazy thing. And, um, I wanted to like put it right in the middle. And my thought was like, I want the dude to kind of cook on it. When we have this event, it's going to be epic. And sure enough, dude, I look out and like everything is exactly as I saw it in my head. Like I put uh, sleeves in the ground so I could put metal poles up so we could run the Christmas lights. So we could have outdoor like globe lighting. The pool's lit up a color. We got like these like big like, you know, heaters. It's cold. This dude's literally out there cooking on this 42 inch cauldron with like the whole thing's covered in like these massive Kobe buffalo tomahawks and like all of a sudden i see like it spark up and i sat there and like i could see everybody at the house and i was like fuck man this is the uh this is the perfect moment to a perfect day and like that to me um uh was like dude that that dinner was the moment and uh you know so i think from woodski's deal and then just um really just you know getting to talk to dr tom and andy and just really the whole thing and getting to connect with Jim Steele and hear Lindsay's stuff and Dr. Christie and then um, just being able to, you know, have that whole deal. And it was, uh, it was killer. And um, the only thing I'm sad about is that not everybody on the planet got to experience it. Yeah. And I, and I feel bad for people that they didn't get to experience it. And the only thing I'll say, and we're going to close the podcast right here is if you miss 2018, shame on you. That's it people. Power Athlete Radio. Thanks again to Sorenex. Thanks again to PowerDot. Thanks again to Hate. Train Heroic. Stay Classy Meats. Thorn. Uh, uh, Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee. Couldn't have done it without you folks. Deuce. See ya. Peace. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. When you get several hundred like-minded people together for a few days and trade stories, you can't help but feel a sense of solidarity and gratitude. Hopefully we were able to convey just a fraction of that with this episode. Here's to next year's symposium. Bye!